Welcome to State of Emergency. I'm Peter Schwartz with my co-host, Commissioner Jared Moskowitz. Uh, Jared, we've got new art for the podcast. How impressed are you with me for getting that done? First of all, I'm extremely impressed. But second of all, I know you didn't do it. Someone <laughs> on your staff did it, and they did a fantastic job. So I'm I'm happy now that they can get uh, minimum wage. <laughs> so, I'm just we both like kind of. I think we look kind of cool, and I'm proud of it. Like, I, I like that artwork. Um, we had a good pod last time with Speaker Sproles. Got a, I mean, just a lot of insights. I liked it because the Senate listened to it, as we know, and like they got some insights on where he was going, and so it was great. That was you are our, you're kind of our talent booker. Uh, so who do we have this week? Well, uh, you gave me a challenge. It was the Tom Leak challenge. Uh, and I uh, accepted that challenge. And uh, very gratefully, as I am grateful, uh, I have delivered to you on a silver platter, uh, Mr. Chairman Tom Leak. Representative, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you got an up arrow this week. I don't know if you saw it or not in uh, Capital Directions. You and it's because you accepted. Well, of course the pod. I did. It's, it, right, it's because <laughs> you agreed to come on the pod. Up arrow. Is um, that all it takes? By the way, Randy. Well, Fox. he's given up arrows to like blueberry farmers. So to be quite honest, like I'm not super impressed. You should. I, let, we will talk about what happens when I give Randy Fine a down arrow. Like you just. I mean, they're just. You're not allowed to. You're just not allowed to say anything negative at all without, you know, hearing from sweet Randy Fine. But you got an up well, arrow. Well, thank God you're not on a school board either. Huh? Oh, you come after you big time. I, uh, <laughs> um, you got an up arrow because basically two-thirds of redistricting is done. The Senate map, the House map, uh, obviously the Senate kind of gets to write its map and the House gets to write your map. You still have judicial review but that's going to happen. They have 30 days to do that. So smartly, uh, you will get back their input before session and will not have to extend there. And you can tell you did a good job. You can tell the Senate did a good job because quite honestly, quite frankly, the bitching is at a minimum. Um, there just doesn't <laughs> seem to be a lot of people with their hair on fire. Yeah, well, we, you know, we just we just focused on doing it right. You know, and I, I said this on the floor, but, you know, we in Florida, we have the benefit of our prior experience and and, you know, we put in some guardrails and those guardrails are pretty high. And so, I, you know, I kind of de describe it as the difference between, you know, being given a go kart by your uncle and going out into an empty field where you can drive around, do whatever you want. And, you know, this is for you, Peter, but, you know, the Tomorrowland Raceway at Disney where you're you can ping a little left, you can ping a little right, but you're never going to jump the rail. What was um I like so Jared you're gonna have to let me have the wheel a little bit today because I'm uh, I'm so fascinated by redistricting it is like it's one of the it's Go one ahead, of the best. Jesus take the wheel Go ahead <laughs> it's one of the best storylines you know uh, Jacob Ogles our reporter has like like he has this tendency to write long like he's a magazine reporter and I actually complimented him the other day usually I have, we have to edit him down as uh, producer Phil knows. We have to edit them down. But in this case, he, you know, there's so many little changes to lines, you know, House District 54 uh, moves over uh, three blocks to pick up this neighborhood because now it's incorporated and blah, blah, blah. And so he he did a rundown on all of that. It looked like I think somebody said that we've got about 19 incumbents in the House that are going to be facing off against each other, um, including, you know, Mike Beltran and. I think Andrew Learn may be the most interesting of those. I want to ask you, what was the hardest decision of all the decisions you had to make? Because a lot of redistricting seems to be putting things in just like two things that are opposite each other. And you have to make a hard choice between a tier one consideration or a tier two consideration or competing tier two considerations. What was the or one of the hardest decisions that you and your staff had to make um, before you presented the map? Well, I don't know if this falls in the category of decisions, but you know, the hardest thing about it is, is you're doing it blind. You, you, you can't and don't know where incumbents live. We just don't do that. Uh, that's a tier one consideration. And so you know, the hardest thing is you get to the end and you, you, you know, pass the maps off the floor and you start to hear these 
these stories about people who are running against each other. And you think, oh, you know, I, I hate that for my friend, but unfortunately, it's just not something we can consider. So there's, you know, the, the tier ones are the must. You must do this. Um, you must protect this. You, you know, that's, that's the absolute consideration. You know, the tier two, you know, once you pick a philosophy, and, and for us, you know, we had a, a consistent methodology of, of saying, okay, we're going to focus on keeping counties whole. We're going to try to keep cities whole. You know, compactness is important to us. Uh, we're going to focus on those and we'll make decisions, initial decisions based on those criteria. And then, you know, you get into a committee and you, you start to hear from members and, or you might hear from the public and say, okay, well, I understand, you know, community of interest is, is uh, not a, uh, a legal requirement that can supersede any tier two criteria, but it does make sense here, right? And we see this community of interest and we can, we can move this line to protect that community of interest. Yeah, I, without I came, violating any of our requirements uh, uh, regarding the incumbents part and i will tell you it was a challenge for us to find out where everyone really really lives you know like their homestead and maybe they're renting a place i know that some you know there it was it was a challenge some people are former law enforcement or have a uh, a confident or are married to a judge or whatever and it it there was a little bit of legwork we had to put into it and i just figured you know, if I were a state legislator, I would have sent you about 20 Christmas cards with my address, just like <laughs> firmly printed on the front, you know, from Jenna Persons, 222 Main Street, and just have that address and just keep sending it to you every day of Christmas. So you knew where that address subliminally, you would have figured out uh, where that was going. Well, we scared the hell out of folks up front. I just said, uh... Uh, you know, I started off uh, right off the bat saying, don't, you know, don't talk to me about redistricting. If you try to talk to me about redistricting, I'm not going to talk to you about redistricting. And, and, you know, the speaker echoed that. Honestly, it's been it's been quite isolating <laughs> a little late at times. But we made that clear that you, you're not going to talk to me about redistricting. Um, and then we educated folks on the way to talk about redistricting. Don't come in telling me about your district. You know, come in and talk to us about where you think the line should go, whether it should be this railway or this roadway or this waterway. And people did a great job with it. What's the status of the congressional map now? Like, I know that you guys are on hold, but what does that, like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, are, are you, I know that, I know that Governor DeSantis has asked for a review, but, um, you know, like any timeline, any sense of when some of this might come down in terms of the congressional map? Sure. I don't think it's a definitive timeline, but but today we either have or will be filing a brief with the Florida Supreme Court join, joining the governor and, and asking them to make this decision uh, and give him his advisory opinion, as oh, well as asking to breaks news. Hold on. Let me just write that. That sounds like a tweet right there. Good job, Representative <laughs> Lee. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we will you know, we'll join in that uh, that effort. We've asked the Supreme Court as part of it to move quickly. Now, they're not bound by to grant our request. Uh, but, you know, we have, I would expect that the, given the importance of this, they will move quickly. Am I allowed to talk or should I just continue my needle point over here? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, who is this? Oh, hi. Hi, Chairman. It's, it's former Representative Jared Moskowitz. Pleasure. Pleasure. So let me ask you. Let me ask, talking, can I tell you the funniest thing? Go ahead. I was going to tell him the funniest Please. thing I've ever seen in the House was Jared Moskowitz putting on a page jacket and standing in the line with the pages as Speaker Corcoran comes out to take his picture with him and watching the look on Richard's face as he recognized <laughs> it was Jared standing there in a page jacket. See, <laughs> you never told me about this, Jared. Peter, these are the secrets on how you pass a bill when you're in the back row. Okay, there are little subtleties in life that you have to do. No, uh, Chairman, I, I wanna ask a question. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not trying to get into touchy subjects or break any news, but, you know, did, when, when the governor put forward his map, did that catch like the House and Senate off guard a little bit? Were there, were there, did you guys, were there talks about, oh, the governor may put a map forward only because look, there's been a lot of hubbub about it. It's not, he, not nothing inappropriate was done. It just hadn't been done in such a long period of time. Did you have, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'm not sure it was ever done, right? But uh, I wouldn't say we were surprised by it. Uh, it was an unusual step. 
And, you know, a governor like anyone else can put forward a map. And it was, you know, it was interesting because obviously it comes with the power of the veto behind it. Uh, so it was interesting for sure. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a surprise. No, fair, fair enough. Any any talk about what happened a couple of years ago? I was in the House, um, you know, many years ago when the Senate, you know, put forward that map. They eventually had to sign that settlement agreement where they it had to the settlement agreement said we intentionally violated the Constitution. Uh, then the House and the Senate, you know, decided, you know, the House decided to adjourn early, go home. We had all those theatrics. It was a fun time to to be in the House. But did, did, did any of that get brought up as a we don't want to go through that again, you know, is it, you know, to make sure there's a lot of people who uh, were in the House actually at the time judging the Senate who are now in the Senate. Uh, and, and so I'm just wondering, you know, did that weigh into, hey, we're not going to let anybody play any shenanigans like happened last time? Absolutely. And, and when I say we had the benefit of our prior experience, that's what I'm talking about. And, and, you know, and the, just to be clear, the House maps were upheld last time. And so the House didn't have a problem with the Senate did. But, you know, watching the Senate go through that and then having to suffer the House as a body, you know, having to suffer the litigation after it, it made it, it you know, made it pretty clear to us of what we're going to stay on the right side of the law and we're going to stay within these guardrails and do everything we can to make sure that, you know, once again, our House maps are upheld. And we did that. You, you think there's anything that's baked in? to the thought process that no matter what maps get passed, House, Senate, congressional maps, um, even if, you know, Eric Holder's group signed off on the maps, you you think that there's just something baked in that they're going to wind up in court no matter what? Absolutely. Yeah, I I think the decision was made to file a lawsuit before we even got the data from from the Census Bureau, right? So I, I think that's there. It's, it's part of the partisan process that we're, we're in right now. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I guess it was uh, not this session, but last session, I got a call from a reporter asking me to give a comment about the fact that the Fair District Coalition had said that they were going to file suit um, against uh, the House and against me and asking if I'd comment on it. And I said, we don't even have numbers yet. I mean, how, how can they have decided to file suit when we, don't e- we haven't drawn the first line? But it's just it's just part of the partisan makeup of how politics moves forward these days that you know, people just don't seem to be willing to wait and see if the maps are, are in fact fair. And I think they are. But see, and that makes me think and then I'll turn it back over to Peter. And I'm not saying you or anyone in the Senate did this, but I, but the problem is, is like it's just human nature. Right. If if you're drawing maps and you think to yourself, we're going to court no matter what map I draw then I might as well draw a map that I think can pass, but I'm going to go as close to the line as I can, because, you know, if I gave rainbows and butterflies, I'm still going to wind up in court anyway. It it just, I I wonder if that, if the idea of putting litigation out there in the beginning, uh, if that somehow just infects the whole process unintentionally so uh, in general, not just here in Florida, everywhere. I mean, it just that's just human nature. I feel like, hey, I'm going to do this action. I know I'm going to get sued anyways. So, you know, I'm not going to give them rainbows and butterflies. I'm going to give them what I, I want to give them because we're going to court anyway. Yeah, I don't think that's right, Jared. I, I think that, you know, if anything, it, it forces you in the other direction to make sure that every decision you make is, is in line with the Constitution, in line with federal and state law. So, I, I'm, I don't think it, it pushes you in, in, in that direction. As a chairman, I can tell you it didn't push us in that direction. Uh, I think that, if anything, it causes you to be a little more um, careful and making sure that none of your decisions can be challenged. Well, the one thing I know about the House is the last thing they want, at least under the last you know, several leaders, several speakers, I, I don't want to speak for Speaker Sprouls, but my guess is that it's still prevalent is that we don't want the house doesn't want the courts weighing in with how the maps should look. I think that's been a, been something that uh, at least I've seen that the house has not responded favorably to, and which is why the house has tried to put maps forward that the courts uh, will look favorably upon. Yeah. The idea that the courts would draw the maps uh, is quite frankly, constitutionally offensive to me. Uh, But the court's role is to make sure that the maps are constitutional and that the process to get there was not one uh, that violated the law in any way. I think that's an appropriate role. But, the, you know, I think last time they drew some maps. And, and to me, that's just constitutional craziness. I think um, 
it, what's crazy to me uh, from the media perspective is is this is number one on the state level. It's reporting a double negative. Um, it's very like some of my friends in the Senate and I have talked about like how do we how do we tell the good story here that nobody's being sued? Like in five years from now, people are going to look at these maps and they're going to say, you know, these are still basically fair maps. Now I will argue, I still never liked the Tampa Bay configuration. That is an odd, that's an odd duck there with the jumping the water, et cetera, um, aspect, but still it's, it's hard to, it's like, it's the struggle of all news. How do you, how do you report at six o'clock, that there was, you know, no murders today in the city. And it's like, there were no, there were no shenanigans in redistricting today in the Florida Senate. <laughs> you just don't see that. And, you know, you all came along with your house map. Um, and that's, you know, it again is, is that same thing, you know, nobody got screwed today in the Florida house redistricting process. <laughs> uh, so we don't have a story. Can I see so, that headline please? Well, and here's where it gets really interesting to me. If you look at it, take a step back and you look at, the entire 50 state process, you know, it was going to be all doom and gloom. You heard, you heard so many reports about how Kevin McCarthy was going to use the redistricting process to regain his majority just in a few seats that Republicans were going to be able to knock off Nancy Pelosi uh, just by the redistricting and the reapportionment process, whether or not that's right or wrong or good or bad is, is it was still predicted by almost everyone. And now the foremost expert, I think, on redistricting right now is Dave Wasserman, um, which I, everybody should follow at, at redistrict. And he, he said last week, it looks like the Democrats may net three seats out of the entire redistricting process. Again, that's not final, but the, it's just the putting the horse before the cart, like what you all were talking about with the court cases and getting ready to sue you know, part of the part of the problem with redistricting is the circus like atmosphere by the clowns on the outside of the rings. And, you know, like you all say, maybe we should wait until the maps are filed before we you know, start suing people. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, and and, you know, Florida has has pretty high guardrails and a lot of rules. A lot of states don't. You know, some states only have one rule, which is you much redistrict. Now they can go and, and you know do whatever they want, and the you know, the federal courts have said it's you know inherently a political process, and they're not going to weigh in. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at look at you know what's happening in New York, um, but you know if we've just gotten to a point in the world where we'll, no one is willing to sit back and judge what happens. They would rather prejudge what they think the worst thing could happen is going to be. Well, let we me, don't do me, that here let, on state of emergency. <laughs> Go ahead, Jared. No, and, and, but you know what? This is a good point, I think, to get out of the specific Florida redistricting process and talk about redistricting from a 30,000 foot view. And as someone who has been in government a long period of time, grew up studying government, believes that government needs to function correctly because there are people that need government to work, that need government's help, uh, and that government... Uh, provide services to people who are less fortunate, uh, and it's important that it functions correctly. And I don't think anyone on the right or the left believes government is functioning correctly. <clears throat> but the truth is, part of why it's broken, and there are many reasons, media, we can get through 100 reasons why government has been broken, but part of how government has been broken has been redistricting globally, that the districts have become more red and more blue in the congressional maps. Um, and as a result of which, both sides have to elect uh, Puritans, 100 percenters, not even 98 or 99 percenters. And a lot of the moderates are gone because of how redistricting happens. In fact, I think there's some statistic out there, is, which is how many seats are actually up for grab in a general election rather than just in a primary. And it's now a very small minutia. And part of the reason that has happened is clearly redistricting, which happens at the state level, it happens in state legislatures, it doesn't get a lot of coverage, people don't understand the process. But what they do understand is they understand the result, which is more partisanship, more gridlock in government. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Chairman? Yeah, you know, um, I'm not sure I would pin that on the redistricting process. 
you know, the hyper-partisanship that we see now is just, just a function of where we are. Uh, and, and remember, because you know, most, most states have a closed primary system, that hyper-partisanship is driven by the desire to get past your, your you know, same party opponent in a primary. And, and you have, you're absolutely right. You have to be as pure as, as possible. Um, I think less of that has to do with redistricting. I think, you know, when you see these, these party swings in Congress, and I'm just, let me just say, I, I, Congress is just a disaster. You know, 435 members of the House and Congress trying to get anything done is just, just so, so factionalized. I'm not sure, how, I'm not sure they, how they get anything done or whether they have done anything. But I think, it, it, I, I really think it is more a function of trying to, to prove their bona fides with their fringe groups than it is anything else. I don't know, I think, Peter. What are your what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I understand what the chairman is saying. That don't get me wrong, partisanship is a it, it, it's a it's a stew. There's lots of reasons why we are where we are. But do you, I I, I kind of do think over time there are just a lot less districts that are decided by the general election. Well, we, I mean, we we do see that in Florida. I mean, uh, we are. It's interesting for me covering it. Um, our traffic is always busier. Uh, um, people like come to me and they're like, well, when's your busiest time of year? Um, and I say, well, it's always the week before I go on a Disney cruise because I got to get in money. Uh, but <laughs> other than that, it's, it is, um, it's the primary elections in Florida. Like we, you know, we covered 105 primary elections, I think last cycle, and we only probably covered 40 general elections. And so, you know, the, that the action was in August and September. Um, I don't know that it, like, so I don't blame, I don't blame redistricting in a way because I, and I got to remind our friends on, on the, on the left, Hey, these Senate maps are Democrat maps. These Senate maps were drawn by Barbara Perriente. I mean, that's this, exactly right. I mean, the, the, the Democrats lost because they didn't put money into the race against Ed Hooper. You know, the Democrats lost because, of some, you know, ghost can or ghost candidate shenanigans in JJR's race. The, the the Democrats lost, you know, because they, you know, failed to recruit good candidates. You know, and then you look at like the Anna Maria Rodriguez Javier Fernandez race. That was just a toss-up race. I mean, there is a world, um, there's a world where it is a 2020 Senate right now. It should, we just don't live in that world. And a lot of that had to do with blocking and tackling. It didn't have to do with gerrymandering uh, of the of the maps uh, in here in Florida. Um, so and now the house stuff, I always look at the here's a great and Jared, you're part of this. You know this 2015 2016. I always tell people this the Associated Press news editors uh, get together and uh, and highlight the story of the year um, and they pick the 10 biggest stories, not always. But that year, I think it was whatever year it was where the maps got thrown out. That was the number one story. And then I think the budget problems where Chris Foley gavels out early, et cetera. I think that was either number two or number three. So the top two issues in the news, according to editors, were basically dysfunction in the state legislature. If you go and look at the 2016 electoral results, every Republican incumbent was reelected. If people were so upset they would have done something about it and they, about dysfunction. They weren't. They said, hey, you know what? I'm going to send my guy back there. And so I just, I don't, I will disagree with your thesis, uh, Jared, that it begins with gerrymandering. I think it's part of it. I blame, I honestly blame the, the profit driven media, those sons of bitches, whoever is writing the stories, those people are out, they're the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, listen, Jared, that's true. Fun. I will. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to start with that one. But listen, there's listen, there's no doubt that social media, uh, national corporate TV media uh, have, you know, f feed both sides. It's all negative. It's all about the you money. Hate, it's all about you the vision. You hate social media. I, 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 this is like you know a what? recurring theme out of you. Is you know why you, think, you hate Twitter? It's not that I hate Twitter. It's just that I. I there are so many things that Twitter has changed and I'm wondering if it's changed it for the better. And I, I, there are lots of great aspects of social media. You can connect with friends, you can, you know, share photos of your family. People can send all sorts of well wishes. It's a great connection tool. Totally is. Um, 
It was better in college when it was the Facebook. Um, but, you know, I look at Twitter and if, if I literally did sat and counted, um, you know, the, the, the tweets that get the most likes are either, you know, uh, puppies, uh, some sort of amazing thing done with a child. Uh, I have a puppy. Or, I have a child. Right. Or it, it's it's some sort of negative tweet, sarcastic negative tweet, division negative tweet. And, and what I'm wondering, what I wonder to myself is, is that because the process is so gridlocked and so broken that do elected officials now just try to build their profile on Twitter in the media? Because that's all they have. They can't go pass a bill. They can't go make change. They can do stuff in their district, which is extremely important. But at the end of the day, there's not much for them to do other than, you know, try to go become a media darling or a star or trending on Twitter. And I just I wonder if it's if it's if it's improved the process or if it's hindered the process. But look, Twitter alone has not done this. I, I actually do believe and we've seen it there. I just don't have the stat in front of me and shame on me. There are a lot less seats in Congress now that are decided by the general election. Both Democratic states and Republican states have made seats more blue and have made seats more red. And as a result, those seats are now decided in the primaries and they're not decided in the general elections. And then you add in everything else that makes the primaries more partisan. And that's how you get this, uh, you know, shit gumbo that that we have uh, in in Tallahassee. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in Washington, D.C., I apologize. Let me change topics. I want to ask the chairman something else because, you know, Chairman Leak is the guy that they give the hard assignments to. He's not the guy they give the easy stuff to. He's the guy uh, because he has, you know, high ethics, high morals, high values that they give the stuff to. When Chairman, when they told you that you were going to lead a, a, a committee called PI, what did you think? <laughs> Because we're 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 like changing like we're like changing the states like yeah you know because I'm asking because like we've changed the states like cheesecake now and like there's new cakes and pies <laughs> yeah you know that was um uh, you know I still remember where I was when I got that call from Jose and adding me to his leadership team and asking me to to chair that committee but you know my first real experience with I was was Richard yeah he had asked me to come down and lead that investigation which was really the, the scariest thing I've done as a legislator because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to expect. But I remember calling Michelle my wife and saying, you know, good news, I've been asked to chair a committee. And she asked which one. I said, public integrity and ethics. And she said her reaction was, ooh. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> what else do you have going on this session? Um, I mean, I, I will say, and I, I've talked to you about this. I came up to you when we saw you in St. Pete. You know, I know you do. You're in like that... Um, I don't even know how to put it. It's like, you know, the speaker and the approach chair and Randy Fine get all the press. Um, you're at that like next level, you know, you're like friend of the speaker, trusted. Um, you're going to be one of those people that helps, you know, guide things in at the end. But what what's what are a couple of things that you're working on that are important to you, important to your community? I know you're you got some things in there for Emory Riddle. I think you got some stuff for Ormond Beach um, in a way. You know, there's only the Daytona Beach News Journal over there, not a lot of coverage. So, you know, a lot of statewide folks might not see some of the issues um, that you may be working on. So give us a couple of give us a rundown on a couple of important things that you're working on this session. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's fine with me. Right. I, I don't I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a press hound. So uh, that's fine with me to, to, to stay there in the background a little bit. You know, I started working about a year ago as I was watching what, what was happening nationally uh, to law enforcement. And I just it just it just felt wrong to me to vilify an entire profession and everyone in it. Uh, and I, as I kind of thought that through, I thought, well, if we keep doing this, not only are we not going to have people who want to stay in that profession, but we're not going to have people who want to enter that profession. And, you know, Jerry remembers from law school, right? The only reason you own your house is because of the rule of law. And it's and I, I thought, you know, we, we've got to do something to make Florida a, a, a law enforcement officer friendly state, just like we had done with veterans. And so I started to meet with um, you know, local law enforcement in my area about a year ago and start to work on a package. And, uh, you know, that's the thing I'm most excited about. And I think 
by the time we're done, you know, we will take just about everything we've done to make Florida the most veteran-friendly uh, state in the country, and we will apply that to our law enforcement officers and make it the most law enforcement-friendly um, you know, state in the country. That, I think, helps solve our long-term problem of, of retirements are just, just, just crazy right now. The number of law enforcement officers are leaving the profession. But you also have to fill that pipeline of good officers coming in. So I, that, I'm really excited about that. You know, in my area, we have something else. We have, these, have you guys heard of these, these, these invasions or pop-up events where, you know, people, it's organized by social media, they're unpermitted, uh, they, uh, they have these events and they come into your town and you ride in. And you know, for us, we have a big pickup truck event that comes in and they literally shut down a one day by blocking it with cars. They'll have, you know, a thousand people in the middle we're doing donuts through neighborhoods. You know, just- I, I think you're talking about, uh, you, uh, you broke up a little bit again as you're traveling here. So um, why don't we, I know what your legislation, we'll, we'll talk about that. We're going to let you go now just because I think you're scrambling or your voice is coming in a little bit. We got all the good nuggets on, on redistricting and we will revisit back with you uh, hopefully towards the end of session. And we appreciate your time this morning. No, I was going to say, I appreciate the chairman getting on. He, he said he was yeah. going to be traveling, you know, when his plans change. And I appreciate him him still accommodating us and and talking about redistricting, which isn't, you know, necessarily the sexiest thing. But it, I, I find it to be uh, the second most important thing that that government probably does other than function. Why do why do people say it's not the sexiest? Like, and that's how everybody always describes it. Okay, like, it's he, not the he, sexiest. OK, because I'm Peter, like, I, look, what is sexy legislation? He, he, like, all right, so here's what the does answer. that look like? Here's my test of how uh, have, uh, of what breaks through in people's everyday lives. I do a test where I wa- I think about walking out my door and going to knock on three doors to my left and three doors to my right. And they will talk about the abortion bill. They'll talk about the don't say gay bill. Uh, they'll talk about one or two other bills that have broken through that are on television. I'm, I would guarantee none of them will talk to me about redistricting. And so that's what I mean. It, is, it doesn't break through. So when, when the editing room says, hey, it's the second most important story, I'm sure to the editors and the folks watching inside the bubble, it is this was the second most important story. But if you just go to the regular voter, to the person who votes constantly but doesn't follow this stuff, uh, educated person, they're just, they just don't follow this process. It's too mundane. See, to me, to me, it's like the NFL draft. Like it's like, well, I don't watch, I don't follow the NFL draft. Well, but I still watch football. Uh, you know, no, the the whole league is set up on at the NFL draft. Like the league for the next five years is set up at the NFL draft. And oh, but think like, about it, it, right? Think about it. What's the what's the viewership of the draft compared huge. to the play? Huge. Huge. Right. It, it's become huge. I mean, it's become a primetime event um, where, you know, it used to be like on the weekends and they would do first and second round. And now I yeah, think but it's, it's broken still into not three. Like a play, it's still nowhere near a playoff it's game. Not a play, no, but it's as big a, it's a, it's a day now. And it's part of, I, 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 and I know it's not sexy. I can see it. Uh, we, for us, we have to kind of juice it up. We have to, you know, uh, two Republicans or incumbents drawn in together in latest redistricting map, um, you know, is where, you know, is the only way, you know, nobody's gonna, and especially like, I, and this is genuine, especially with these maps, they are, they are, they're, they're fair. I mean, the Democrats should be able to pick up a state Senate seat, like, and if, you know, if they if they play their cards right, they can maybe pick up two. Um, you know, the way the maps are drawn here. The House, you know, the problem with the House maps is just, you know, Democrats are bad at recruitment. They just are not, they're not, they're just not doing the blocking and tackling of recruiting candidates. I think also, and Jared, I would love to spend time on it. You know, we do need to eventually go back and talk about the, the 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 deal with the devil that was made you know decades ago between republicans and black democrats and it basically it 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 led to the decline of moderate white male democrats in the in in florida and so that people like you know 
Rick Reisman, yourself, Charlie Justice, um, um, you know, uh, I'm thinking about like, oh, what, what was the guy's, you know, uh, Rick Dantzler, that though, that you all are, you just don't exist anymore in Tallahassee. And well, listen, I think- I, I, so I, I, so that, I think that's half true. So listen, okay. I, if, you know, where I live in Broward County, if I wanted to run for a house, get back into the state house, I could still win the two state house seats that I'm near, the one that my house is in, or even the one right next door if I wanted to. Right. So that I don't know that that that's I think true. you're a very rare phenomenon. Like if, if it was just white guy, white Jewish guy X in a wide open Democratic primary, that is not a guarantee. I think you with your with your resume, your over just your overwhelming charisma. Well, you, let me tell you. And uh, your well, insatiable my, my, my ability to raise looks. money. Oh, my, my devilish good looks. No, here's but here's what I, I think ha- did happen. When they made that deal to guarantee access seats, which was extremely important to make sure that we had access seats, it, I don't think that deal necessarily made it hard for white Democrats. What that deal did is it solidified a significant amount of Republican seats. That was the deal. The deal was, hey, we're going to give you all of these access seats, and in exchange, we're going to guarantee Republicans rule the House from now until eternity, right? And, and the Democrats took the deal. Uh, and that deal has now solidified this break in it, this, these numbers in the House that we will we won't get back until I don't know ever perhaps, you know that's how lopsided the House numbers are. And that was the deal. It didn't really hurt white Democrats, but what it did is that they realized, hey, we can get all these Republican seats forever, and we'll give them a guarantee of access seats, and we took the deal. You know, I, I it's. Uh... I think it also contributes, like, why are there not more statewide? Um, but you know what? Uh, part of it is you got to I got to get past my privilege also. And it's like it is a it is a um, it is a very difficult time for Democrats because it's like, do you want to put up the Joe Biden esque figures that can win? Um, I don't know that Charlie can beat Ron, but, you know, do you want to put up the, you know, the pal the palatable, you know, kind of blah, not blase, but acceptable, you know, white dude, or do you want to go with a Stacey Abrams or Andrew Gillum? And we've seen in Georgia and Florida that there just are not enough moderate white people, presumably white women that are willing to make that jump and and solidify it. Now it worked in the Senate campaigns, but that I think was a uh, in Georgia. I think that was a referendum on uh, on on Trump and and all of what was going on there. I just I, I want to see the Obama multicultural coalition work, and it just doesn't seem like it will come. To, it's going to come together in Florida. Well, look. Um, first of all, I think Stacey Abrams is a is a is a good candidate. You know, she she lost in a very close election in Georgia. Uh, and I think going into the next election, uh, she's probably the favorite to win. By the way, Gillum, you know, for all the supposed faults about Andrew Gillum, I mean, he that was a close election. I mean, we barely lost, quite frankly. Yeah. Quite frankly, it was it was close. It was that close because of his talent. He was a very ta- he's a very talented guy. He had built a coalition, quite frankly. He did motivate black voters to the polls. It's how he won the primary um and and you know we 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 almost won that election uh it does kind of suck like are the buffalo bills a bad team they went to the super bowl four years in a row obviously they lost no they're not a bad team and it's like andrew gillum yeah look getting getting close in elections doesn't matter i get it yeah it just doesn't it doesn't it's it's it sucks because like you just like why wouldn't you run like run andrew gillum back not now but like run that same strategy and, you know, it's very easy for 30,000 votes to go the other way. Well, like by the way, let, let, let's ask this question. So Charlie lost to Rick Scott by like less than 50,000 votes. And Gillum lost to uh, Governor Ron, uh, Congressman Ron DeSantis by less than 50,000 votes. You want to make a gentleman's bet that this year we lose by way more than that? I don't. I, honestly, like, and I'm not, I, I, I would, I I wouldn't bet against you, although I will continue to say, like repeating what I said about the redistricting process, 
I think what politics continues to show is that, you know, you have these assumptions six months out, you know, redistricting is going to be horrible for Democrats. And then it turns out where it may be a net positive for Democrats. And it's like, you know, it just every every time we continue to make these big bets, you know, no one will elect Trump. Uh, there's no way Joe Biden's going to come back. I mean, you, you look at where Joe Biden was. I mean, Bloomberg was up like by 30 points in some of the polling of Florida. I mean, Biden was on the ropes. I mean, it just it's just crazy how the big bets uh, are basically just the game stops and AMCs of the political stock market in a way. And so, no, I'm not going to take that bet. And I still, you know, I go back to my metaphor with the Tom Brady thing. You know, Tom Brady, like as he's retiring, the game they talk the most about is the one he lost is the you know, the 19, well, maybe the Eagles come back, but the, the 19 and 0 team where Peyton May or um, Eli Manning uh, puts a pass on a guy's head. To me, that's Ron DeSantis on any given Sunday, he could lose, uh, you know, if something bad is happening. I don't think that, I don't think that any can't, I, like, I don't think that Marco Rubio is untouchable. I think he's a a poor candidate. I think he's a presumptive candidate. I think Val Demings is a rock star. She's twice the candidate that uh, Gillum was, and she's going to have 10 times the money. I mean, so that's a, di- so that's a different issue. So I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think, I think Val Demings is tremendous. She's probably the best candidate Democrats have run in. I mean, God, it's got to be at least a decade and a half with this sort of resume, this sort of appeal, this sort of talent. I also like a Democrat, uh, and I don't mean to be politically incorrect, I like a Democrat with balls, okay? She is tough as nails, okay? And she's not going to get, you know, beaten up. She's not going to get pushed around. I loved how she came out early on and was like, defund the police is stupid. (laughs) Who would do that, right? Right. so we could not have asked for a better candidate than uh, Congressman Demings. I mean, we just could not I like not the have. fact, uh, Jared, I'm not joking when I say this. I like the fact that she, and she wouldn't say this, but I like the fact that she is not mixed up with all the, the bullshit at the party. Like she's not the, it's not the usual consultants. It's not the usual, you know, uh, playbook. It, you know, she doesn't, you know, she's not talking about, you know, the coordinated campaign and making sure everybody gets just a little bit of the cookie so that, you know, like she, the behind the scenes um, machinations that she's doing where she is not the traditional, let's make everybody happy. And then we all lose bullshit. Like she's not doing that. She's like, I'm going to drop my $9 million fundraising number and boom. And I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to, you know, get involved in the crisis du jour. I'm just going to go out and raise another seven, eight, nine million dollars next quarter. And I'll see you all in August, September. And I just, I like that she's keeping herself dis- distant from just the shit show that is the Florida Democratic Party. No, I mean, like I said, it, she can, in a straight up race, she can absolutely beat Senator Rubio. I, I, I just, he, he does feel, you know, he isn't untouchable. Uh, and and she is she's outraising him, and so Democrats are fortunate that she decided to 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 go do this. It, even though U.S. Senate's top of the ballot, it is going to be interesting to see what we do in the governor's race. And this was always part of the conversation, which is we have to we have to put a whole slate forward because at the end of the day, it all feeds off each other, right? We can't just put all our eggs in the basket, you know, for U.S. Senate, and then you know. not, you know, not go all in on the governor's race because if Ron DeSantis outperforms, it's going to help Marco Rubio. Um, And in fact, I actually I actually think more people on the Republican side are going to come vote for Ron DeSantis than they are going to vote for Marco Rubio. And Marco may get a bump because of Ron DeSantis. I will. So I was working on a little like, you know, Peter think piece uh, a couple of weeks ago when the when the prediction markets were really strong for Ron DeSantis. They had moved back up into the like 85% level. Um, and, you know, it was going to be a, it was going to be a tough love kind of thing. And like, Hey, you know, Charlie Chris, should you think about going back for your congressional seat? Like the Democrats need, you know, every seat 
He can win it. Um, you know, if he drops, you know, Ron DeSantis looks impossible to beat, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then if Charlie drops back, then maybe Ben Diamond runs for the competitive state Senate seat down here. Maybe Michelle Rayner hangs on to her seat, you know, and there's just, it's kind of an addition by subtraction, tough choices thing. But then I thought about it even more and I'm like, and this is kind of the reverse of it. You know, whereas I used to think Val Demings maybe will help Charlie because she'll solidify the black vote. I think Charlie, Charlie may end up sacrificing himself. He may get, you know, within 50 to uh, 60,000 votes of DeSantis. And with that, I think Charlie brings out maybe another, I think Charlie brings out a bunch, uh, brings out a, more voters for Val Demings than Nikki Freed does. And I think that, that he can't drop out. He can't not run a full-fledged campaign because we need it if we're going to have Val Demings beat Marco Rubio. Yeah, I mean, again, that that's why if if Democrats in it, you know national Democrats not don't just want Val Demings in the U.S. Senate, which we do, they also are going to have to try to nationalize the governor's race. They they could not just allow the, the Democratic governor gubernatorial candidate to be so underfunded thinking right. that they can just pour all their money into the Val Demings race. That's just that that's going to be a failed strategy. And what will wind up happening is if that Val Demings will lose and she will lose because we didn't we didn't nationally fund uh, fund the race against uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, all right. So switching topics, let's talk just like Tallahassee for a couple of minutes. OK, man, it seems like it's been a rough couple of weeks for the Democrats, uh, you know, <laughs> evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I hate to be uh, like a broken record, but it just seems like the Republicans have finally like realized, like even in election year, man, we we have the numbers. We can just run roughshod over these guys. Who cares? Let them give their speeches. Let them do their tweets. But we're going to pass like some of the most ridiculous legislation that isn't going to help anyone's lives, but it's going to, you know, it's going to feed red meat to our voters. I mean, it's not that you're not saying anything new, I guess. Is it, you know, is there, I mean, our only hope now is somehow there is a, uh, you know, some cooling down of some bad legislation by the Senate. You know, it's just like I read on Thursday, some of the stuff and listen, there's like good guy speaker. And then there's like bad guy speaker of the house. You know, some of the stuff that he popped out on Thursday, Friday, where it's like, we're going to take away or we're going to, revamp the accreditation process for our colleges and universities. We are gonna underfund school districts that had a mask mandate of something like $200 million. Um, you know, that there was just all this kind of punitive legislation on top of, you know, the abortion bill. And like, you can see the abortion bill coming. Like we did, I did a panel this weekend, everybody, well, they're not letting in rape or incest. They're not letting in rape or incest. And I'm like, you know what the play is here. They're going to move this bill as far along. They're just going to keep running the ball. And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to drop the, the strike all that allows for the exemptions for rape and incest. And everybody's going to be like, oh, it's a moderated bill. Thank God for the the, the common sense has prevailed. But they're still going to get this terrible abortion Peter, may, bill. Peter, may, maybe. See, I think that to your point, like that, that was the you general think it's wisdom. Be worse? I don't think it'll get worse, but I don't think it's going to get better necessarily. Look, th these guys are sophisticated. Okay. They're, they're not just flying by the seat of the pants. They're pulling this, you know, that yeah. they're pulling this. They're trying to see what they can get away with. How far can they go before they cause, you know, mass panic at the polls. Uh, and so if their numbers show that they don't need to do a rape and incest exception, they're just not going to do one. If their numbers show, oh boy, we're upside down here. You know, 65% of voters, including moderate Republicans, want a rape and incest. They're going to throw it in there. Okay. Let's not pretend like this is being done by, you know, this is because, you know, they fundamentally believe in all this stuff. There are true believers. There are no doubt. But some of this also is about fundraising. Some of this is about accomplishing what they've wanted to accomplish for a long period of time, but they also want to get reelected. So they're not going to pass a piece of legislation that's going to wind up losing 20 members. So they're they're pulling it. And that will determine what strike all comes. It won't just be because they want to moderate the bill. And then uh, I, I because I this say, is a competition now, Peter, look what Texas did. See, we got to outdo Texas yeah. or at least be or at least be competitive with Texas. 
you know, um, you know, we can't. What do you think about? All right. So I and it's not the abortion bill that I I guess the anti LGBT uh, legislation is probably the worst. And again, to hit on Randy Fine, who, you know, is genuinely turning into just a monster of a legislator, Um, you know, as he as he decries, he he says that he calls them government schools. He doesn't call public schools public schools. He calls them government schools. And it's his way of kind of of disparaging them. Um, And he's got this argument that, you know, that sexuality should not come up at all in schools. Like we should not be teaching about sexuality, that, you know, we should be focusing on algebra, et cetera. And, you know, books should not have sexuality topics in them and those books should be removed, et cetera. Um, I just, uh, to me, like that's where I think like the abortion bill is horrible. This isn't, this is the one where it's like, I don't know why we're doing this. Um, I don't know, like, are we still, is, is, is the Republican base still this fervently anti-gay? Like, I just, I don't know about that. And that's, uh, I, I am perplexed. I can see, like you say, they're polling. I know what the upside is. Kelly Stargell very much is pro-life. She believes in what she's doing here. I don't get the anti-gay stuff, to be honest. Well, what, what's what's weird about the whole anti-gay thing is it's it, 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 it's like a decade too late here. Okay, I mean, so the the Supreme Court has decided that uh, gay people have the right to marry, and that has been upheld. And oh, by the way, there were Republican justices that voted for that. And, and so that is that's the law of the land. So what I don't understand is trying to deny something that clearly exists and is allowable. So what's going to happen? Two dads are going to walk into uh, you know, orientation at school and the kid is going to say, hi, these are my, my two dads. And the, the teacher is going to say, no, no, you can't, you can't say that. I mean, that, this yeah, what is, do you say to that person? Like, what do you say to your, you know, like the, the, son, the kid's going to write an essay about his parents. Like, Hey, today's assignment. Tell us about your parents. Right. Uh, he's going to write an essay about his two dads or about his two moms and what that essay won't be able to be read in class or, you know, I've gone into school several times uh, when, you know, it, you know, it's like, you know, bring your parent to school and talk about your occupation. OK, I mean, are, are the two dads not going to be able to go in? I mean, at what point uh, it, it, does this start to get ridiculous? And oh, by the way, I don't even know, Peter, if this law will get if this law will get forced. Is it something that they're just going to pass that they know is going to get struck down by the courts? It's not going to get enforced, but, you know, it, it, they're going to turn the base out for their election. And that's really what they're trying to do here. They're just trying to gin up the hatred to get it out to the polls because this, there's no way. There's just no way that, that under the First Amendment that this stuff is going to pass. By the way, I thought it was, I thought it was very important, very important when uh, – you know, uh, people in the black community started saying like, hey, you know, like kids books, they need to show black people in these books. All these books show white kids. Right. Like, you know, they 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 should show there should be books that are multicultural so that kids can see that there are people of all sorts of colors in books when they're growing up. I thought that that was extremely important. And by the way, that's not something that wasn't changed just recently. That that I mean, that, that's a recent change. OK. Yeah. To, and that and that's important. It's also important. To, to raise kids that they're going to they're going to go to college or they're going to go to a job and they're going to be around gay people. So what are you going to shelter a kid from understanding that there are gay people out there and then they're going to be shell shocked when when they get into society and they're going to say, well, I never knew that this even existed. I was in a bubble. I mean, it's totally crazy, totally well, ridiculous. I, I mean, I will go I'll go a step further and say the entire idea, our entire government in Florida is set up to continue to create is to make Florida the greatest second world power in the country. Um, And I know that like it it has to do with that. We promote community colleges probably and vocational training as much as we do. Like we understand, like, and this isn't a negative. We understand who is here. We understand that this is basically this, this big state of, of it's a multi-ethnic working class state uh, that, exists on tourism, exists on agriculture. And the idea that we're ever going to become North Carolina, Virginia, or New York, or something like that, like, 
Rick Scott, I think, understood that we were not going to reach those aspirations and to continue to, to do that is just a waste of money. So let's turn our universities into degree factories. Let's get people in and out of there within three years instead of four. And then I think also, I don't know that necessarily our people are going to be exposed to the, the to the diversity that you find in California or New York or you know or Chicago or across the world anymore. I think that I, I mean there is a um, Jared. There's a tinge of white supremacy to all of this here. I mean, it, you you can't deny that at this point. I mean, the the anti CRT bills, and and you have to, and I think you have to look at the argument that it just there's just such an attempt here well, but the country to, is the country is changing to deny that the country is changing right it, it, it is to just deny reality i mean you know wh whether we like it or not the country is changing it isn't the 50s and make america great again which is to try to take it back to that time isn't going to happen we're progressing forward well and that's what these people are it's it's they're entering the atmosphere of that and that's why there's this much that's why there is this much friction is that it's just now i will make the argument back to you and i think that this is is valid democrats have screwed the pooch assuming that hispanics and hispanic voters were going to be you know the answer to their electoral challenges that demographics were destiny when it you know increasingly Dem uh, hispanics especially Cubans and in, in South Florida, Venezuelan diaspora, you know, Rio well, Grande. Repu Republicans have been able to take policies that Democrats have been talking about and weaponize it. Yeah. And 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 that should be a wake up call uh, to Democrats who are putting policies forward that uh, th that are going to hurt us in the Hispanic community. But listen, maybe the Democratic Party has written Florida off nationally. All right. We are we are running really long, and all I right. Let's get to your favorite topic. Go ahead. No, nope. Yeah, that's not a segue. That's not a segue. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You, so, show me show me how to do a segue. I want to learn. We're running kind of long, so let's try and <laughs> stop it. Um, let's just talk about what I wanted to talk about at the top, which is. By the way, that was the, a beautiful segue. The, I'm gonna the write Disney, that down. the Disney, uh, the Disney Star Cruiser Hotel uh opening it, it's it's taking reservations now right people are it is are yes they, start, they, you're taking reservations now and you can start going march 1st and now so you're so wealthy that you're able to go on that is that what you were telling me earlier that's not exactly how i said it okay what i said is is that i've been very excited for like years to go i think it would be a great experience for my kids and me we love star wars it's an immersive experience it's amazing but when they announced how expensive it was for two days, I felt like I needed to like take a shower probably at the Star Wars Hotel, but I needed to take a shower because basically it's like $5,000 to take my two kids and wife for two days. And, and I got to be honest, like I felt I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, but I, I felt like slightly uncomfortable. All right. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, Disney has created a, um a real it is kind of cutting edge it's a starship it, you get a, to live on a starship for two days you go in orlando and you don't leave like not in a bad way but like it is a it's it's role playing to the nth degree you're entering a starship um and it is populated with characters from and if you've been to the new disneyland you'll know it's not like han solo or luke skywalker they've got their their own star their own storyline going on there it's like star war-esque it's uh, called there's... batu <laughs> i have been uh, there hold on so have i and i'm trying to think what is the the greeting it's a good good right how do you say remember it's um oh i didn't learn the language i didn't want to get assimilated so I learned, I did a media preview. In fact, I think Michelle and I were the last non-Disney people in the park before it opened, um, which was kind of cool. We were, we got to do two days of it um, and got to do the behind the scenes. And it was, it was really cool. I think it's, um, gosh, it's like good, happy risings or something like that is, um, is how you say hello to each other. Um, and so you go on this, I just saw last week, they're now selling you can a week out you can buy all the outfits yes like there's you, a website to buy the outfits uh and they're very professional looking i i looked at those as well 
What do you mean they're very professional looking? These are not like these are not like Star Wars costumes for Halloween. Like these are like the legit, like movie quality costumes. You would be wearing like you. This is what you would wear, and that's what I've kind of wondered because like everybody knows I'm a huge Disney cruiser, and I do get into it. I don't know that I could like I don't know that I could larp this up and like put on you know, the Admiral's outfit or whatever for like 48 hours. I want to go and I have no problem putting on the Admiral's outfit if they make my size. Of course, (laughs) They make children. So I'm sure they're going to have, no, they don't make children's. I looked, I looked. They really don't. No, they do. But it's not, not the ad. The the kids don't get to be admirals. They get to be like, you know, like, uh, there's like regular like outfits. They just, you know, that like fit the theme, but they don't get to be an admiral. Now, the thing is, is you've got to stay on this, this ship for what? 48 hours. Isn't that, like yeah, you you're, on, you're on the ship for you're on the ship for two days. You eat all your meals on the ship. You get off to go do the two rides in the park at Star Wars. You do the two rides like, you know, there's like some immersive experience to go do those yeah. things. They, and then there's all sorts of activities uh, on uh, on the ship. And I mean, there's hollow hollow decks and all sorts of crazy sorts of things. There's that Disney has finally created like a legit real lightsaber that you know the, that the characters are going to use where they push a button and it comes and extends out and it's like real lights not like the ones you and i can buy not even yeah. the high quality ones like this yeah. is now something totally different so i mean listen i've i've been excited about it i'm gonna go but it really is i think the first time who are you disney... going with you're not taking your Leah's not going with you right or i mean is she into that so she has threatened to boycott this trip um <laughs> so is but, michelle michelle yeah. is like it's never happening but by the way the only reason she threatened the boycott is when she heard about the price she was like oh yeah the kids would like it and then i told her how much and i think she was like well that's a chanel bag we're clearly not going god and your I, wife i mean jesus that's exactly what my wife said i mean in fact i think i have to get her a chanel bag in order to go well and by the way when did that trend start with our wives where you have to get them something to go do something like you, you know, like the no, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. What happens is, is that there are things they want in their life, and there are things that I want in my life, right? And those things are sometimes similar, and sometimes they're different. And what happens is, when I say I want to do something, and they hear the price of that something, they immediately equate it to something in their life, right? And so when I'm like, hey, I want to go to Star Wars park and live on a ship for two days. And she's like, okay, that sounds stupid. And she's like, okay, we'll go. She, she's like, okay, we'll go. Kids will find how much. And I'm like, oh, it's like, I don't know. It's like $5,000. She originally immediately has a picture. She's like, oh, that's that black Chanel bag on the second shelf at the Boca Raton oh Mall that I want. Like what we can swap. Right. And it, it becomes kudos to her. She's figured out the system. I, when we went to, like, it was when we went to on our trip to our anniversary trip to the Bellagio, she's like, Yeah, you can gamble. Anything you lose, I get to spend at Chanel. And I'm like, Well, that's a double loss then. I mean, I mean, that doesn't make sense at all. Thank God we actually won, but then we ended up just spending the money. I have to tell myself when I stare at the ceiling before I go to bed at night that I'm in charge of my life. I make my own decisions. Like, I'm an adult. And I realize that none of that is really true. Um, I uh, I want to knock Disney. I'm a little upset. Like I I get I got I have to vent on this. Um, so we were booked on the second sailing of the Disney Wish, the new cruise line. It was supposed to go June 22nd. So they would have the inaugural. That would be like you know Kristen Bell would be on that one, and you know Adam Babington and everybody that's cool. And then they'd have the second one, which is like all of the people who are in platinum level got to book on that and we booked it immediately. And um, we got a notice last week that the ship is running behind because of COVID um, six weeks, and which is insane because it's like, I, I don't even wanna get into that part. I will say, so what their solution was is they canceled out six weeks. Um, and so if you had bought, if you were one of the schleps who got to get in, you know, you've only been on two Disney cruises. Right. So all the early adopters got screwed, but the folks that were six months out, they're good. They're good. So they're going to get to go on this. So the, that guy is going to get to go in my room on the second sailing. They're giving us 50% off on another booking, which is, you know, of course, you know, they're not really losing money at that point. And so we got we're we're getting pretty hosed on that one. And like well, by like the way, I mean it's, it's what I what I heard music to my ears was fifty percent off. 
it, I will say that was attractive because you could use it on any cruise. So there are some very expensive, like Northern European. You just or, wanted to be the first one to use the toilet in one of the rooms. Like you want to be like, I'm the first absolutely. person to sit on to, this toilet in this cabin. I wanted to break some of that stuff in and, uh, and, and we're not going to get to do that. And we're a little, that one, that one, you know, we've lost a lot of vacations and we got it. We, you know, we really haven't, but that one kind of stung that, you know, we lost London uh, for new year's that one stung and, and the Disney wish that this one's going to, I know this is a uh, first world problem. As, as, as all the people who listen to listen to us that, you know, you know, are, are get their food, you know, uh, uh, you know, buy a card from the government, you know, are saying to themselves, Oh, Peter missed his London trip. And now he has to wait six months to be on the wish. But you know what? That's not by This isn't that that's not our audience. We know who our audience is. Our, <laughs> audience, not our audience are all people who just are, they're going to be listening to it as they're heading back. They're, they're going to be driving to Jacksonville to get to Ponte Vedra for the players championship in a, in a couple of weeks. So I don't know. Let's let's land, let's land this plane. We'll finish with Disney. So I'll tell you that I I, I just got back from Disney. Um, And and I'll tell you the one amazing thing about Disney. Uh, And there are lots of amazing things, but let me give you one. So obviously, you know, my, my dad passed, it's been, you know, a little over two weeks now. Uh, And, you know, we brought the kids to Disney this weekend to kind of let's like, flip the script, give them a happy moment. And it really just, it is, it is amazing. If your kids are really into Disney, they're into the rides, they're into the characters. I mean, it was just the, the happiness that that brought them. Um, I mean, it really was just the game changer we were looking because they had been sad and melancholy, you know, for the last couple of weeks, rightfully so. Uh, but like bringing them to Disney, it really was like that thing that they were just yeah. like super excited for uh and so you know i'm i'm I, one of the things i'm grateful for living in florida there's lots of reasons but one of the things i am grateful because i think we do take it for granted is i'm an annual pass holder we can, two and a half hours we can be in disney but it was really it was really a, a a good trip and and the kids had a great time that's great to hear i will uh let's close there that's a, a great note um let's see if we can score i mean another republican uh powerful republican legislator for next week's a podcast, you know, maybe we should, we should see if there's a state Senator that'll talk to us and uh, get their position. Who would you like to have? Give me the challenge. Who, who would you like me to go get? Who is that person? I want somebody like Brandis is so low hanging fruit. I mean, it's like that guy lives. We've had Brandis on. I know he he lives to do podcasts, right? I mean, it's, um, do we get Gruders? I mean, you know, somebody with some good, that's got some interesting bills. Gruders, Travis Hudson, I mean, I would love, you know, if Kathy Mears would let uh, Wilton Simpson come on, but I don't know that that maybe Ben Albritton even. I mean, he's got some interesting bills. Somebody ben, in that, like, I, I will, I will ask, uh, I will ask Senator Albritton. I'll, I'll let you surprise me. I will let him know uh, that the this the podcast is going to be sponsored by Pear Nectar, and that will immediately be an attraction, <laughs> Senator Albritton. All right, this was State of Emergency. My name is Peter Schorsch. I want to thank our producers. Jay Caruso and Phil Ammon. Uh, Co-host is Jared Moskowitz. Thank you to Representative Tom Leak for coming on. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your listenership and we'll talk to you next week.